Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as millennial. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Daniel Backhouse. Hello, that's me. I'm a millennial. Dan, hello. Thank you, and and, uh, thank you for joining us, and welcome. Thank you for having me. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Um, I don't really introduce myself. I'm actually quite a shy person in um, Mm. when I get into a social setting. I usually wait for somebody to come up to me, um, and then at that point, I'll probably just introduce myself as a student or um, more recently a marketing assistant. Um, nice. Yeah, so it's not, it's never anything like, yes, I'm a pilot, I'm in the army or something <laughs> exciting like that. It's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty dull. I've been a student now um, for six years, so I'm getting a bit tired of introducing myself as that. Um, I, if I but, can interrupt just for a second, how is... Being a student for six years isn't that dull. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the only thing that keeps me excited is just seeing how much the hex debt is going to be at the end of the year. And I have to say, it's been a wild ride so far. (laughs) Has it been six years because of your chosen course of study or you've decided to change your course of study throughout? Yeah, I decided to change it. Um, I originally went into university thinking I was going to be um, a war journalist so um, I went. Wow! In, yeah, I know. I went into a bachelor of journalism, thinking, "Yes, this is this is for me. This I'm definitely going to be on sixty minutes with a little flak jacket on, with a oh safari suit. Oh, absolutely, the Bob Hawke look, <laughs> alive and well. Um, but then after six months, I realised, no, that's definitely not what I want to do. I really like being safe and in the first world, so. I decided to drop that and change to a marketing degree. And then uh, took a little break for a year to have a sort of nervous breakdown. But, you know, back on the wagon now and finishing it. <laughs> Welcome back, Dan. Thanks for, thanks for welcoming you back into the sane community. <laughs> oh, I don't know about... The definitions of sanity when we talk about the broader community are very flexible. Oh, absolutely. Do you mind if we have a bit of a discussion about that or would you rather not? Um, yeah, we can talk about it. Was the acknowledgement of, I need to get some help for this, was this your prompting or people around you encouraging you? Oh, it was definitely my prompting. I think um, before I suffered from, um, I went. I just went through a period of anxiety and depression and mm-hmm. um, I wasn't the person I used to be. I was very... I used to be very outgoing, very um, extroverted, and then just things happened in my life and it was just not a good situation. And I just sort of shut down and became very um, introverted, didn't want to talk to anybody. And, uh, you know, my whole life was sort of affected in that sense where you know, my character yeah. changed and I sort of stepped away from uh, talking to people, which is probably not the right thing to do, but I wasn't in the right state of mind to seek help immediately but thank god i did and um yeah just sort of dealt with the personal issues that were going on around me and um, climbed back out of the hole <laughs> so. 
it's are, are you finding that it's a continual commitment by you to maintain and look after your your own mental health? I think I'm much more conscious of it. I think because mm-hmm. I am only in my early twenties. I'm about to turn twenty four next month, and it happened in my even earlier twenties. So when I was about twenty one, um, I probably wasn't. I didn't have the tool set in my own um, personality to, to, to deal with my own mental health. So I yeah. think now I am a lot more conscious of when I am getting stressed and when I am getting anxious and just sort of implementing things to um, minimise that now. So I am taking a, a much better care of myself with my mental health now than I used to be. Do you find that, you know, it's 2016 and and conversations around mental health are certainly in a better place than I think they've ever been historically. Do you find that it's easy or easier for you to talk about, you know, what has gone on for you or is it still something that is a a difficult conversation? Um, I think it's it's probably easy for me to talk about it, but... I definitely, I definitely agree that there is a, a the space now is much more easy to talk about mm-hmm. mental health. But I think it's definitely for me a personal journey of getting back to the person like not necessarily that I used to be, but um, a different person who can have some of those traits that I used to be, but with also this experience of going through anxiety and depression and um, just opening up to other people and being able to talk about it. Mm. So for me, it's just a personal journey, but I do agree that um, we're allowed to have these conversations more publicly and that helps a lot. Yeah, I, I want to encourage you and commend you, Dan. I think that um, the the recognition you said, you know, I, I needed to push myself to go and speak to someone about it and get some help. Um, that must have been so difficult. Well, Yes, just because it's it's a very easy thing to just do the same thing that you've been doing because it's working. And yeah, I think when you're in that state of, I suppose, mental illness, it's hard to recognise when something isn't working. And thank God I had at least a, some support network around me at the time. I was living away from family, but I had close friends who could recognise mm. that I wasn't I had changed um, in a sort of negative way and I was able to see that in myself and then go and help get help for it. Yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing all of that, Dan. That's, it's very precious. Thank you. Well, that's okay. If it wasn't too dark. <laughs> Not at all. It does open up this question, if I can continue, yeah. I guess, in, in something you touched on just before. How do you describe your experience of family? Well, I'm not sure. I, I come from a, an immigrant family, so um, my grandmother and my mother uh, moved to Australia in the late 80s and I was born in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So um, family growing up was sort of a, you know, the stereotypical fresh-off-the-boat immigrant experience where... <laughs> Um, you know, everything you have to work hard for and 
we weren't very well off. I mean, you know, we never went without mm. or anything, but it was definitely not, you know, private schools and um, horse riding afterwards. It was yes. um, certainly something that, you know, family is the central unit and then yep. everything outside of that you work for. So um, that's really what it was growing up. But now I think having lived out of home for seven years, eight years, um, I definitely feel a bit more disconnected from my family and it's a, it's a new experience for me, mm-hmm. just being independent without that sort of close network of family um, that I grew up with because when I was a child and a teenager, um, there was always a family member you, who was within earshot that you could complain to or um, get help <laughs> from. And I think living independently since I was 17, um, it's just really taught me to um, make friendships and uh, be a bit more independent than I might have been if I'd stayed at home. Yeah, I hear that. Do you mind if I ask the heritage of your your mother, your grandmother? Uh, yes, they are from um, Papua New Guinea, and uh, my dad is from Tonga. So nice. The whole Pacific Rim. Yeah, that's a nice little blend, isn't it? I know. It's just built for rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had the desire to play? Um. Yes, but I'm not that great at it. Like I'm very uncoordinated, so that was that was a little fu from genetics. <laughs> but um, like I appreciate the game. I mean, rugby, rugby league, and rugby union are probably the two codes of sport that I follow and I identify with the most. So mm. um, I don't know whether it's like back in the brain and some chip somewhere firing away in a lobe. But, yeah. <laughs> what challenges you? Uh, simple math, probably. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, what challenges me on... <laughs> what challenges me on a personal level or what challenges me professionally? Yes. Oh, thank you for clearing that up. Um... <laughs> Personally, I I get I struggle. I think with just building relationships. I think being away from home and especially going through my experiences with anxiety and trying to recover from that right now. Probably my biggest challenge is to get back into a semblance of what I used to be and. Um, just sort of learn to trust other people in relationships and not mm. internalise things. But yes, also math is quite hard and that is challenging. <laughs> is is math something that you have to deal with on a regular basis or something you can avoid? I think I seek out math just, just as a... It's my own, like, road to Damascus, I suppose. No. <laughs> um, no, I don't deal with math that often, thank God. Sorry. 
Yeah. This is Lawrence, my grade three teacher. I don't, I don't use math in my daily life. Like, you know, I've got a job. I can afford a calculator. I don't need, I need to add up sums in my head and find mm. X. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, we, we carry around computers that have the internet in our pocket that have a calculator feature. Yeah, ridiculous. Who am I, Confucius? Have I got to be <laughs> out? Could you imagine if you legitimately carried that around? Oh, I'm, sure it, I'm sure it'll be the next sort of hipster trend, abacus. <laughs> just at the checkout, like just when you go to pay for your coffee or your craft beer. Mm. That's, that's that's the next step after Visa Pay Wave, I suppose. Just abacuses. Master abacus. Yeah, master abacus, of course. What was school like for you? Um, it was okay. Like, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. School was just sort of something to be done. I Every time I I will watch something and it's like, what were you like as a kid? What, was, what were you like at school? And it's like, oh... Mm-hmm. I didn't really study that hard, but I got okay grades. Like in, I got in my marks at the end of year 12, I got slightly above average, which is like how I describe my whole life, really. <laughs> it's just, I didn't really study that hard. I didn't, you know, homework was for nerds. I did okay in English just because I like to talk and I can talk the back legs off a donkey and sort of can repeat a book back to the teacher. But, yeah, school was just something to be done. I dropped out of maths in grade 10 because (laughs) um, Queensland at the time let you do that. I got in in the one year where you didn't have to take math. Maths was not a compulsory subject, so I'm like, (laughs) bye. (laughs) I'm not going to be an astronaut. I don't need maths B. Bye, Mrs. whatever your name was. Didn't even stay long enough to learn the names. But, yeah, I had a free period where maths was and loved it. But, yeah, school was just something to be done. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was mostly just for socialising, really. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have the reunion cycles started for you yet? Um, I'm coming up on my eighth year this year. So it'll be great. Um, ten years in 2018. Yeah, maths, see? Two years, I couldn't even figure that out. Well done. Um, yeah, so 10 years. I don't know if I'll go unless I marry Rich within that time. <laughs> but yeah. It Turn up like one of the Real Housewives, just dripping with the labels. Obviously. What's the point of going to reunions if not to rub it into the face of people who were mean to you? It's Romy and Michelle's high school reunion all over again. Exactly. I just want to be married to Alan Cumming or the inventor of post-it notes. <laughs> I don't want to be some schlub who still identifies as marketing assistant unless that's my side job from, you know, being married to a shake. Well, it, it's the thing that you do when, you know, you're whoever is off at, at, you know, doing the things that earns them the many dollars. You have to have a side interest, whether it's, uh, you know, abusing the, the, the housekeeper or it's, you know... Uh, spending your time running a charity, protecting small dogs in, in clothing or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, just sort of feed your own interests at that point. <laughs> That's about, right. It's not about other people. Well, not at that point, it's not. Gosh. No. 
Have you have you pondered what would you do if you because a million dollars these days doesn't really set anybody up for anything. It just pays some bills and you get on with life. Have you like the big lottery, uh, you know, jackpots like the fifty million, sixty million? Have you pondered what you would do with that if you want? Oh, every night I fall asleep to the image of me spending that money. <laughs> if I'm not thinking about what I would do in a zombie apocalypse, it's what I would do if I won the lottery. And I what would know, you do in I, a zombie apocalypse? I've talked about this a lot. I've t- well, I wouldn't head to Bunnings because I don't like mm. the sense of an open space. Because, <laughs> you know, you always see it. You'll be heading down the aisle looking for a shovel and then bang, one of the, they're still in their red shirt and green apron with the hammer on it and they'll, they'll get you when you're walking through bathroom. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know what I do in a zombie apocalypse. I think I've made peace with the fact that I'd probably die quite early on. Because I, you know... I struggle to make it through a week without ordering pizza, so I need convenience in my life, and I don't think you'd get that once the electricity's shut off. So, you know, I'd probably just sort of eat all the food in my apartment and venture out onto the street and get bitten almost immediately. So, <laughs> Surely, contextually, though, living in an apartment means that you're up off the street and it gives you a better chance than most yes, but, to survive it. Yes, but you also... Once you have to venture out, you're also trapped in a sort of corridor immediately once you get out your front mm. door. So I think the suburbs works better for... If you, if you were to pick a place when the zombie apocalypse started, it would be the suburbs. For me, a suburban house. Yeah, I think that's fair. So how would you spend your $60 million? Um, look, probably some plastic surgery first. What for? That's rubbish. What for? Just I, just to be perpetually young and to look like a cat person. Nip, tuck, tighten. Bit, a little bit of uh, ongoing maintenance. Yeah, I want to look like I'm in, constantly in a wind tunnel. That's, <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> when, I'm photo sh- fo- when I'm doing my Annie Leibovitz photo shoot for Vogue, mm-hmm. I want people to say, gee, he looks good, when they know damn well I look like a melting waxwork figure. <laughs> Is that code these days now when it comes to fashion and, and all that stuff that when someone, gee, they look good, they really mean, no, they don't? I think it is code, but it's probably, gee, they look good, or it's like their surgery worked. Like, <laughs> like Sharon Osbourne a couple of years ago, she was on the list. You always see in NW or those other trash mm. magazines. And it's like these, you know, Jocelyn Wilden scenes, the classic oh. you know her surgery didn't work well duh because she was trying to look like a cat of course it's not going to work i mean 100 percent if she wanted to look like a cat because she does but yeah sharon osborne was always held up as the oh look she doesn't look that bad you can't see the scars and now she's you know overdid it with the fillers so yeah i think it's a code for you know they've, they've hit the sweet spot anymore they'll look like a sort of puffer fish with hair but right now keep doing what you're doing it's difficult isn't it because i i see i watch a lot of television as you know dan and and i see a lot of people and and over time you see that progression where they are you know maybe they're they're looking all right everything's pretty tidy things looking very trim and taut and stuff and then it's like they can't leave it at that. No. They have to go back for a top-up or a refill or just a little bit of this or can you shift my chin sideways a half an inch or whatever it is. 
and something goes drastically wrong and they can never course correct. Well, I always think that it's, I think people who are, um, who get plastic surgery are a little bit of a perfectionist and they let that sort of rule mm -hmm. them and they always spot the flaw rather than looking at the bigger picture of, oh, I look pretty good now. They'll always spot, oh, that bit's a bit wonky or, you know, this nose could have been shaved off a little bit cleaner. But I've thought about this with Joan Rivers. Like yes. she reached a, probably a happy medium in the early 2000s because she was in sort of her late 60s at the time and she looked mm. pretty good. She looked, you know, late 40s with the plastic surgery. Mm. But then she just, you know, kept going and it was a bit sad in the end. Oh, well, she's dead, but... Well, half of her face isn't, but yes. I mean, that, you know, only some of her were 80-whatever <laughs> when it died. I think they should have individually listed the parts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we're getting to the point where people, as a part of their estate, will have to be able to leave parts of their body, uh, either as bequests or to medical buyback schemes. Oh, yeah, definitely, especially if you've just had it done or you, you know, die on the operating table. I mean, it's a waste otherwise. Yeah, take these things out, put them in someone else. Yeah, it's like organ donation. Shut up. <laughs> What's your favourite takeaway food choice? Oh, God. Well, there's... I don't want to say pizza. Pizza's a bit lame, but... Yeah, you know, it's probably it's probably just pizza. Pizza's very good. Pizza doesn't have to be lame. That's just the safe choice, I suppose. I mean, we've had pizza's probably. I don't know if you disagree, but pizza I would think would be the first takeaway food invented. Really. Oh, I'm sure that Mister McDonald's or Mister King would have words to say about that. Yeah, I'm a bit off burgers because. There's the whole US trend in food at the moment. And I'm over putting a burger on the top of a milkshake. What is that about? Donuts. Donuts on milkshakes and burgers. What's well, I do like a good the, donut, but you're pairing it most, like that is not cool. They're the blandest junk foods. And suddenly everybody wants a piece of it. Like, you're still just injecting Nutella into bread. Like you can go down and buy <laughs> these things for like six dollars at Woolworths, and you're paying God knows how much for, you know, sugary dough and hazelnuts. Insane. But yes, my favourite, my takeaway of choice would probably be pizza, just because there's. I think, I was talking about this the other day. I thought, what would your specialty food? be a bit like iron chef mm. like iron chef japanese or whatever i i said italian yes. just because of the carbs and i do like tomato and garlic mm. and um sort of cheese oh it's like you're singing me my favorite song <laughs> what 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 pizza do you like what's your choice i'm, I'm actually a weirder i just get cheese pizza um with a barbecue sauce base I'm just, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. I don't, I pay. That the, is some high quality carbohydrates with no protein. Yeah, I pay the premium price for the least amount of labor and ingredients. <laughs> you would do better, in fact, ordering some form of meat lovers 
and getting them to make it in a specific way so that you could just pick the meat yeah. off want, and I use want it. An animal or animal byproducts to pass through a minimum wage slave's hands <laughs> just so I can pick it off. No, I just get a cheese pizza. I mean, I'm a, I'm a simple man, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> That'll change when you've got your $60 million, Dan. Oh, no, I'll just get more expensive cheeses. Oh. I'll just do a triple cream brie. That's pretty basic. <laughs> but that's the, that's the most expensive cheese I can afford right now, but... It comes down to brand as to whether or not that's expensive or not. Oh, yeah. I mean, just from Woolies. I'm not going to, you know, out in the countryside in France to get my cheese. You're not flying off to King Island to collect your cheese order. No, I'm not even certain it's from a cow, but... (laughs) Tastes pretty good. Triple cream yaksbury. (laughs) Rat's milk? You promised me dog or better. What one thing would you change about your life today? One thing, like a physical thing. It could be anything. Um, we just having a bit more focus. I don't think I'm a very focused person. I tend to, I'm a bit like a magpie. As soon as somebody shows me something new and shiny, I'll jump onto that. So I think, <laughs> I think that would be my biggest change. In my life. Other than a new nose. I really want a new nose, but I'm not... I don't have the balls to commit to. What's wrong with your nose? It's fine. I can smell out of it and it's on my face in a sort of central position. But It's well yeah, attached. Yes. It's, it's on there. It's hanging on. Um, yeah, I really want a nose job, but going back to... I don't think I have the... Because it can, you were saying before, it can go so wrong, and I'm not doing the operation. Mm. You can do all the 3D modeling on your little plastic surgeon computer all you want, but you know, you tap that chisel too hard and it's on around the back of my head. Yeah, or it's overly sharp and pointy and nothing like what it should look like. Yeah, and I need, I'm not rich enough to pull off that look. I don't think anybody is really. Oh, I mean, look. You don't, yeah. <laughs> but then again, I, you know, I'm a man, so it doesn't really matter what I look like. Society doesn't care what I look like. But you care what you look like. Absolutely. And that's why I will get that nose job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, probably won't get I probably won't get a nose job. I mean, I'd rather spend it on cheese pizzas and, you oh. know, caramel tin tans. Oh. Dan, cheese pizzas at your place very soon. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? In the next 12 months, I'm going to save mm. because I've traditionally yes. not been a good saver. So I'm setting that goal for myself. Um, and I'm just trying to be more of an outgoing person. I'm just trying to say yes to things, Was whereas previously... I would say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm a bit scared of that. I've not done that before. But I'm just, I'm just trying to say yes and see where it takes me. If it crashes and burns, well, that's fine. And if it doesn't, bully for me. God, I should write a self-help book. <laughs> what would you title it? Um, 
Get confident, stupid. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'm in a position to offer anybody self-help. We should also round this conversation out before we infringe any more copyright. Um, oh, no, I'm sure the creators of The Simpsons love it. Well, given their... Do you, do you remember back... It, it was a while ago now... Um, when Duff Beer was first actually made as a thing, yep. uh, someone in Australia made it, and they were like, oh, Duff Beer, can we get you Duff Beer? And they sort of got some some cases done and out to promotional, like to radio and stuff, and then uh, 20th Century Fox. Uh, yeah, they went, no, that's not happening. Lawyers stepped in, they went, oh. And, but then Duff Beer actually came back on the market, I think it was about five years later, when someone actually sought to you know license the brand and all of those sorts of things well yeah funnily enough weirdly that we're talking about this i have a can of duff beer <gasps> at my house the the license really truly like from the original batch yeah the light no not the original one i think it's from the licensed one the one they took off the shelves because they were worried that kids were going to buy it but it's like you know if the kids go into that much trouble to get some good on them they've walked past a number of other beers, spirits, wine, and alcohol to get to it. Yeah, honestly. And it's not even cost-effective. Like, if that kid wanted to get drunk, they would buy some Fruity Lexia, some Cooler Bar. Not that I... Passion Pop. Yeah, not that I condone underage drinking. <laughs> mm. But, uh, and in... Let's keep it 100%. I've tasted this stuff beer. And originally, I bought the six-pack, and I'm like, I'm going to keep this. This is going to be a collectible. I had a party mm. the next weekend and I drank five of them. So <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be listed in the history books as, you know, the sole living collector of Duff Beer. But I have, the man who had one can. Yes. But um, it tastes terrible. It's not, it doesn't taste good. <laughs> it tastes, I, like most like most licensed products, it is just an existing product with a fancy label on it. And I'm pretty sure it's just Victoria Bitters, which is the worst Australian beer. Yeah. Oh, very closely chased by Foster's. Foster's is an Australian? That's un-Australian. <laughs> it's not, not Australian anymore. No. What have we got left? We haven't even got Vegemite. No, I don't think there's too much. We've got Aussie Mite. Oh, great. whoop de doo <laughs> Dick Smith will save us, Daniel. Is he running for Bromwell Bishop? See, I think he was only going to run if oh. she stood again, and because she wasn't pre-selected, it's, he's managed to have his out. He doesn't have to stand. Gosh, I'm actually pretty devastated that Bromwell Bishop's gone. Just, just for the fun factor. This, when, when you mean fun factor, are you talking about style or just the crazy old person things? Well, she's not crazy. She knew what she was doing. Yeah. She felt entitled to that helicopter. And good on her. I mean, if I was, you know, ready for my $250,000 pension, why not go out in the helicopter? I'd get a helicopter everywhere. I'd get it down to the bloody fish and chip shop. <laughs> down to the pizza shop. Yeah. But yeah, I just liked Robin Bishop, I think. Just because she brought... She was an opera singer. She was kind of nuts. She felt entitled to all this stuff that, she, you know, she wasn't paying for it. That's very right, Daniel. She wasn't. <laughs> Just that I think the confidence. I admire confidence. 
<laughs> Thank you, Daniel, for this conversation. I really appreciate it. I, I want you to know that the things you've said today are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. It's been lovely to have you on the, the podcasting uh, thing. Very clearly, you are on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? Um, I am sort of semi-active on Tumblr, just posting my thoughts and sort of angsty blogs. No, I do um, gifts of the Real Housewives sometimes when I can be bothered. And that is yes. at um, whatisthisbushweek.tumblr.com, <laughs> playing into sort of my bogan sensibilities. Um, on Twitter, I'm at, at @danbne, mm. and that's it. I mean, I won't tell you my Pornhub channel. You can find that for yourself. Okay. You've also done some excellent work this year writing some Real Housewives of Melbourne recaps for Decided TV that are hilarious. Oh, thanks. Yes, I am on decidedtv.com. I do the Real Housewives of Melbourne recaps, and hopefully I'll be doing the Real Housewives of Auckland recaps just announced. Bravo, New Zealand. Yeah, that's got to be watched, doesn't it? Ah, sure, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Is that offensive? I mean, I'm sure they'll be offensive enough without me adding on to the sort of insensitivity towards New Zealand. Well, this is the the thing that gets me about this, right? Australia has set such a high standard for how to be offensive in the Real Housewives <laughs> franchise. Yeah, well, that old. Lydia alone. Surely. Lydia alone. Oh. Sort of just, she's really set a high bar here. So racist <laughs> and so abhorrent. It is just killing me, that woman. Uh, but all, of course, anyone that is partaking in this show in Auckland must have seen at least an episode of the Australian version and will either go, oh, no, 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 I'm going to try and be nice and proper, or they're just going to blow up. It's going to be insanity. Well, I've heard at the sort of lunch that the producers set up where they were trying to scope out some talent, I heard one of the women, and I don't know if she's on the show, just stood up in the middle of the lunch and said, I've slept with your husband, but in a New Zealand accent, obviously, I won't do the accent. But yeah, I, I don't know if she made it on the show, but, you know, crazy is everywhere. So they found Oh, I husband. hope that she comes on as a guest bestie or something. I hope so. Like not, even if she didn't make the, the final cut, just someone that is the best friend of someone who's in the group. So she gets to pop up regularly and just be a real needle under that person's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, I think Australia probably... In our housewives, what we don't do as well as the American housewives, we don't have friends of the housewives, mm. which are sort of integral, sort of side members who just are desperate for some attention and camera time. And... Yeah, and do nothing other than pump the tyres of the person in question who's probably, and 90% of the time, yeah, and they're really very, very Yeah, wrong. they're really loud. They just want to get in front of the camera and just sort of play it up, mug for the camera a little bit. So they're, off, they're often just obnoxious. I hope I see that in Auckland. Hopefully the New Zealand girls. You know, it's a small population, New Zealand. So surely, yeah. surely, you know, they've got to do more to stand out or do less. Oh, it's it's going to be insanity. To wait and see. <laughs> this has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Dan B&E is in